0: Here at Lady Farmer, we talk about so many different aspects of slow and sustainable living, a subject matter that can at times feel confusing, overwhelming, even misleading. And that's why a few years ago, we set out to write a book that might be a guide for those seeking a life of beauty, simplicity, and sustainability.
1: We're thrilled to be able to offer you our own small guide for cultivating slow living, Sustainable Simplicity Close to Home available in our online marketplace. In the book, we've woven an easy-to-digest narrative of stories, recipes, tips, resources, ideas, and reflection. This collection of essays and resources will guide you to think about your own relationship to the planet, what you eat, what you wear, and how you live a sustainable lifestyle. It also contains a 21-day slow-living challenge of daily thought exercises to lead you in the process.
0: For you Good Dirt listeners, we are offering free shipping of this wonderful little book with the code The Good Dirt in our online marketplace. So use the code The Good Dirt, T H E G O O D D I R T, at checkout when you go to purchase your copy of The Lady Farmer Guide to Slow Living in our online marketplace for free shipping. That's The Good Dirt at The Lady Farmer Online Marketplace for free shipping on The Lady Farmer Guide to Slow Living. We hope you enjoy it. Thanks, everybody.
2: I think it's important not to judge yourself and not to get caught up in in this world of like, what are the right choices to make about food? I think the important thing is to understand some of the industrial processes that food goes through and some of the choices that are available to you that are different from sort of what the... The sort of food industrial machine is telling you you should want.
1: Welcome to the Good Dirt Podcast, where we dig into the nitty gritty of sustainable living through food, fashion, and lifestyle. We're your hosts, Mary and Emma, the mother and daughter founder team of Lady
0: Farmer, a slow living apparel and lifestyle brand. Before we get started, let's just check in and see what's up. So, how have you been practicing slow living this week, Mom? Oh, well, okay, so...
1: Today, when I was out walking the dogs and I was um, feeling kind of in a hurry like I didn't have as much time to spend as I wanted, but the sun was shining and um I felt like I really compelled to find a little high spot and sit in the sun for a few minutes and even though my mind was telling me I didn't have time to do it, I needed to get back to the house and do this and that. I did it anyway and um, it felt so good the sunshine and sitting on the ground and just taking a few minutes and I found it really restorative. And of course, when I got back to the house, I had plenty of time to do what it was I had to do. I'm glad I didn't
0: talk myself out of that nice, slow living moment. That was awesome. Um, I had a lot going on this week. It was pretty crazy for some reason. I have a tendency to overpack my schedule and really stretch myself thin, which is why I'm glad (laughs) I have this slow living project company that I sort of have to be accountable to. Um, but this week in particular, I said no to a couple of things that I otherwise would have felt like I had to do or be a part of. Um, I'm a yes man. I say yes all the time, pretty much. That's my go-to. And I'm just learning to be a little bit more discerning about my time and my schedule and being honest with myself about what all of that means. So that's my slow living for the week is I, I said no a couple times when it was hard to, and I'm so glad that I did. Mom, what's a movie that you've seen lately that you really loved and want to recommend to our audience? Well... I loved Little Women. It was so wonderful and inspiring, and it never gets old. The story never gets old. The characters never get oh, old. Yes. If you haven't seen it yet, go yes, see it. stop, pause this podcast right now and just go <laughs> go watch it. It's such a slow living afternoon or whatever. <laughs> what about you, Emma? Um, gosh, that's a good one. So I think it was uh, after the first time that I watched Little Women, I was just so in the mood for that kind of movie again. So I was kind of hunting on on the various, you know, movie streaming services, and I found this one, or it was recommended to me on Amazon Prime. It's called The Bookshop. Um, it's like, you know, a cozy seaside New England town, and this woman opens a bookshop, and there's lots of scenes of the waves lapping up against the rocks, and she's looking out at them, and it's just it's just one of those movies. It was so good. I want to watch that. It was so good. Okay. The bookshop. <laughs> it was on Amazon Prime. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, moving right along, some announcements. Um, if you haven't seen them yet, we have seven new beautiful pieces in the store from designer Grace Bryan over at Line and Toe. Um, it's an entire clothing line that we have um, recently come into contact with and She is now selling exclusively through Lady Farmer, which is super exciting. So if you're looking for the kind of slow fashion garment that is high quality, well-made, smart design, um, can be used for so many things, she has this utility button down. Um, It's just like kind of a slightly oversized, like designed after like a men's, you know, like shirt, dress shirt, maybe almost, but it's designed, you know, to be worn like... It looks good on women, and it's got these big, deep pockets, and it's just super cute, and I really think I wear it more often than not wear it. (laughs) I think I wear it, like, four days out of the week or something. I love it so much. Anyways, Line and Toe, available on our shop now. Go check it out. Um, We also have a slow living challenge coming up. Mom, do you want to tell them about that? Every Sunday, you're going to get a
1: prompt for the week. And some ideas for activities and exercises to help you experience more of that slow living theme. So, um, we hope you'll join us. We're going to be on a Facebook
0: group page where we can share our our experiences and our observations. And that's if you you sign up for the challenge to get the emails in your inbox. And when you do that, you'll have access to the facebook group that's how that will work yes so um so you can find all the info that about that on our website um and we'll be posting about that on instagram too so just follow along can't wait for the slow living challenge all right so without further ado we'll get to our interview for today On today's episode, we are introducing you to our friend and lady farmer, Rachel Armistead. She is the co-owner, manager, multitasker at The Sweet Farm, a local farm just outside Frederick, Maryland, which offers a variety of naturally fermented foods and drinks, from sauerkraut to pickles to their favorite, ginger beer. Naturally probiotic, these fermented products provide probiotic bacteria, lactic acid, and other benefits to promote gut health.
1: Rachel and her husband, Luke Flesner started The Sweet Farm together in 2011. Both hobby fermenters, when they met in 2009, Rachel and Luke's relationship revolved around fermentation from the start. They even attended a four-day fermentation workshop with Sandra Katz for their honeymoon. When friends and family started offering to pay for the krauts that Luke and Rachel were giving away, the couple started to talk seriously about a business venture. After much experimentation, product sourcing, and hard work, the sweet farm debuted its four main flavors, classic kraut, beet kraut, curry kraut, and curtido. Yum! At local farmer's markets in the fall of 2011. Since then, the couple have expanded the business to include a food truck, naturally fermented ginger beer, and pasture-raised pork production on their farm.
0: Our conversation with Rachel touched on so many topics that we are passionate about here at Lady Farmer. Not only does she give us one of the best explanations ever of what fermented foods are and how it benefits our health, but she clarifies the distinction between that and other preservation processes like pickling. Now we get into some fun facts about vinegar, our industrial food system, and some things to watch out for when reading labels.
1: And, as if that wasn't already a full listen... Rachel goes on to share with us what it's like living in a tiny house with her husband and two small children, where the romantic vision of minimalism meets a real family. Then the discussion goes even further into reflections on consumer issues, what constitutes enough in our society versus the need for more, and what we can teach the next generation about want versus need, quality of life, and how to balance
0: conscious choices in the real world. A quick note to say that we recorded this live in a coffee shop, which was really fun, but also gave a certain amount of ambient background noise. Eventually, at one point, we even had to change rooms where the background noise was a bit louder, um, and so the audio kind of shifts throughout the episode. We did our best to keep that as unobtrusive as possible, but just letting you know if you hear you know, variations in the audio. That's all that that is. So stay tuned for this full and engaging episode, chock full of information for all of you slow living enthusiasts.
2: We were the first people to be licensed in Maryland to make sauerkraut. And so the health department was like, what? I don't know what to do with you. So we went to our county health department. They were like, no, we're not even de- touching you. Go to the state. And the state was like, uh, we don't have a license for that. We don't know what to do. So it took several months of sort of work of convincing them we had to get, you know, we had to hire, we had to work with a process authority and a food scientist to like basically tell the health department in in terms that they could understand that like we are not doing anything new here. This is time-tested, safe processes for for processing food and preserving food. So it took a long time. So we started that in, like, early 2012. We started looking at that processes, thinking we could do the farmer's market season. And we we didn't get to go to our first farmer's market until October of that same year, just from, like, back and forth. And granted, there were times when I was just like, I cannot do this right now. I have to just take a break from this and just, like, wouldn't deal with it for a week or two. Um, So there was some of that. But, you know, a lot of it was just like language and understanding and, you know, getting all of these ducks in a row for the health department and getting them to understand what we were doing.
1: I find it really fascinating that that you had to teach the what, what was it, the health department?
0: health department
1: about the ancient art of fermentation and why it's a valid way of preserving food. Like it's the oldest method in human history. And that had disappeared so much from our industrialized culture that the health department didn't even know what it was. So I, this is a, this is I this is an amazing thing that you paved the way to bring fermentation back to Maryland. Congratulations! That's just. congratulations! <laughs> well, thank you. That's
2: huge. I wish there was like a reward yeah. for for that. I'll make you a little sash. A little sash. Okay. <laughs> I would love a sash. Wear it all the time. Well, so the thing about it that's kind of interesting um, is that fermentation is a tricky process in terms of the health department's definitions or USDA definitions of food. Now, now, because it's gained in popularity there is a a, a USDA definition of, of fermented foods but at the time there was not and the reason is that it's an acid food so you know when you eat sauerkraut or you eat fermented pickles that sour flavor is an acid and I can talk about that in a minute what that acid is but it's not acidified and what that means is that I didn't add any acid okay so the the health department the USDA these they had a definition for acidified foods which would be a uh, pickle that you would make with and vinegar. A tomato, right? A tomato, like jams or jellies are acidified because you add, they either are acidic enough on their own or you're adding lemon juice or you're adding citric acid or you're adding vinegar mm-hmm. to make something acidic because acid level is one of the ways you make sure food is safe, right? right. It has to have a, a, a low enough acid number, which means it has...
1: It kills bacteria. It kills bacteria under to-
2: a certain pH, yeah, which is like acid level. So acidified food. So they were very confused by us because it was acidic, but we didn't add any acid. The acid was created by the bacteria. So they were like, mind blown. We don't know what to do with you because you don't fit into our definitions. And these people aren't food scientists. They're bureaucrats, which is nothing against them. It's their job, except they just don't know. They don't know the science of it. They just know the, the, the regulation of it, right? So we had to sort of convince them that, you know, the acid that was being created was legitimate acid and was actually going to preserve the food and why that was safe. So, you know, to kind of go, if people, if listeners are confused as to what I'm talking about, fermentation is, when we're talking about food, there's lots of different fermentation processes. There are industrial fermentation processes and When we're talking specifically about vegetable fermentation, we're talking about bacteria. And the bacteria, typically, the the family of bacteria that is responsible for vegetable fermentation is lactobacillus. That's the family. There's lots of individual species of bacteria within that family, but uh, the family lactobacillus is omnipresent. It's on our skin, it's in our mouth, it's in our gut, it's... um, in the soil, it's on our vegetables. It's, it's everywhere. And it's harmless, uh, luckily, because it's everywhere. But when you get enough of it together and you give it the proper conditions, it will proliferate and create lactic acid, which is that sour flavor that you taste when you eat sauerkraut or fermented pickles or anything like that, kimchi, anything like that. And that sour flavor is, is lactic acid, and that lactic acid is, is preservative. It preserves the food uh, for you.
1: I think consumers nowadays are um, familiar with shelf-stable foods like the the jars and pickles and the sauerkraut and the the beets or whatever that you just that can stay forever on your shelf. So explain to us the difference between that stuff that you would find in any grocery store and and what you guys are producing. So
2: if you want, okay. So the sauerkraut that we make is and and the sauerkraut that's gained in popularity in the last. 20 years, let's say, is live probiotic raw sauerkraut. And what that means is that the bacteria that created that lactic acid is still alive, still present in the food. And the, there's a lot of reasons why that's beneficial to your health, but that bacteria is very heat sensitive. So once you cook it or can it, you kill that bacteria. So anything you find on the shelf that's shelf stable, whether it's in a metal can or a glass jar or anything like that has been heat processed, and therefore the bacteria has been killed. Now, it can taste good. It may have some benefits of more fiber and the lactic acid and these kinds of things is fine, but the probiotic benefits have been nullified because the product has been cooked and the bacteria has been killed. So if you want to find a probiotic sauerkraut and get that gut health benefit, you're gonna to wanna to go to the refrigerator section and you're gonna to wanna to look for a package that says you know raw, probiotic, live cultures, bacteria. You're going to look for these on the package because there are bagged sauerkrauts that you can get in the refrigerator that are no longer bacterially active because they've been added. Vinegar's been added, preservatives have been added, whatever. So you want to look at the label. Uh, You want to look at the label and make sure that, one, it has those keywords on it, and two, that the ingredient label doesn't have anything like vinegar, polysorbate 80, you know, these kinds of preservatives, preservative sodium benzoate, you know, these preservative things that are preserving by killing any living organism on there so that it's inert.
1: So what you're looking for on the label is is um, sweet farm. Sweet farm. That's what you're looking for on the label. You're looking yeah, for you're sweet really farm. looking
2: for sweet farm. Those are the only two words you need to know. <laughs>
1: When you see Sweet Farm, you're good to go. Good to go. Yeah. If you don't see Sweet Farm, you need to look at your label. <laughs> and so it pays okay, salt. Salt, salt, salt sure. is the... Uh, don't want vinegar, And right? so y- you will talk about salt. but um, So you want... Y- what you don't want to see... Let's talk about what you do not want to see. You don't want to see vinegar, because that means that, that's more a pickled thing,
2: right? Right. right okay, so here's... Uh, I don't want to. I'm not here to. I'm not here to dog on pickles. No, let's talk about that. Are let's talk about that for a second. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, so it is interesting. People ask me all the time when I do workshops or give talks about what's a pickle, what's sauerkraut, what's the difference. Okay. So let's let's dissect that really quickly. The word pickle. All the word pickle means is something preserved in acid. Okay. So, a, in our country what do we think of? We think of cucumbers. A pickle is a is a cucumber preserved in acid, right? But there are, you can, if you can put it in acid, you can pickle it, right? So pickled pig's feet, pickled eggs, pickled green beans, pickled beets, anything that's been put into acid and preserved by that method is a pickle. So fermented cucumbers are pickles because they are Cucumbers preserved in acid. They're just not fermented pickles if they've been made with vinegar. They're delicious. Vinegar pickles are delicious. I love a nice, crispy, crunchy vinegar pickle, but they're not, it's not probiotic. It's, you're not getting the bacterial health benefits, right, that you would if you were eating a live, raw, probiotic, fermented pickle. And also, again, shelf-stable versus refrigerated. Anything that's raw, probiotic, live food is going to be in the refrigerator. It's not going to be shelf-stable. So if it's on the shelf, shel- and what shelf-stable means is that it's not controlled by any kind of temperature. So it's not in the freezer. It's not in the fridge. It's just on the shelf in the store next to the pasta or the mayonnaise or whatever other things. That, that is an is a absolute indicator that it's been heat-processed and heat-sealed and is no longer probiotic. Now, maybe they're someday going to figure out a method of preservation of food sealing that allows something to be raw, live, probiotic, and shelf-stable, but that has not happened yet. So, for now, go go straight to the refrigerator section. And then in the refrigerator section, you want to look for words like raw, probiotic, lacto-fermented, cultured, traditional, natural, Fresh, these words don't actually mean anything when it comes to, like, the substance of the food, right? So, yeah, yeah, you're looking for those specific words if you're looking for a, for fermented foods. There's nothing wrong with vinegar per se. Like, vinegar is a very useful yes. cooking aid and, and food preservative and all these things. It's just that if you're looking for the probiotic right. aspect of it, then no it's not going to be probiotic if it's made with vinegar because the the, f- the vegetable hasn't been allowed to ferment. It's probably been cleaned and then just put straight in vinegar and there's not been any opportunity for the bacteria to proliferate. So yeah, it's a good indicator that it's not probiotic. The other problem with vinegar in our industrial food culture is that most vinegar today that's used industrially is made with wood. It's wood alcohol turned into vinegar. What? Yeah, crazy, right? It's like it's it's not you know, you, you see like the gallon of Heinz yeah. vinegar, distilled white vinegar, and it has all these vegetables on the label. No, it's made with sort of industrial basically biosolids that have that are, you know, it, through an industrial fermentation process are fermented into alcohols and then and then fermented into vinegars. I do think- Yeah. um, Yeah. So again, I'm not going to like turn away a pickle necessarily, but I'm not going to go out and buy one just because I know the processes of the vinegar. I know that there's not a lot of health benefit to it. And, you know, it's not a a food to like avoid. Like if you get a pickle on your sandwich at a... at a cafe, it's not like, oh, my God, I can't eat this pickle. It's yeah. going to ruin my life. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm not necessarily going to go out and buy a pickle that I, don't, that I don't believe in. Yeah, And I also will say, one of the big problems with the food industry in this country, worldwide probably, but especially in this country in general, is that a food is not a food is not a food. So vinegar is not vinegar is not vinegar. Raw apple cider vinegar, like raw organic apple cider vinegar with the mother is a live, active, healthy food, like it's a very nutritive food and is really cleansing and really, really th- great thing to use for salad dressings and drink with water. Luke, when he's out in the field all day, he drinks that water with vinegar in it. It's a, it's a natural electrolyte. It's got enzymes in it. It's really, really helpful for hydration. But then, you're, then you've got these other vinegars and then you've got this like industrial process vinegar, that is a totally different food from this, you know, traditional traditionally made vinegar that you're talking about is healthy. So that's that's the problem
1: there. Yeah, again, we get into the question of what is real food and learning to know the difference and learning to know which choices to make and why. And that's a really eye-opening learning for me about, about the vinegar. If it
2: has sugar in it, if it has sugar of any kind, you can make alcohol with it. And if it has alcohol, you can make vinegar with it. So wood has sugar in it. Wood is carbon-based. It's made of carbohydrates, which yeah. are sugars, can be turned into alcohol. That alcohol can be turned into vinegar. I mean, distilled vinegar is a very useful, helpful, yes. inexpensive way to get chemicals out of your home or, your, or your, your cleaning routine or even your beauty routine. Vinegar is a really helpful yeah. Product. We always have vinegar at our house for a variety of things. But, and it's not like I think it's poison. I mean, if I need vinegar for a recipe and I didn't have any vinegar or like we put, we'll put that white vinegar in when we're poaching eggs or making yeah. hard-boiled eggs cause it makes it easier to peel the shell You know, things like that. So we're not, again, it's like one of those things where it's just like, it's not poison. It's not going to kill you. It's just like knowing these processes, I think that most people don't. And I think the industrial food system doesn't want most people to know the processes that their food has taken to get to them because it's not always in their best interest. Distilled vinegar means that, now I'm not an expert on the distilling or vinegar process, but what it means is that it's been made into vinegar and then distilled, which is a heat processing, which is a heat purification process to make sure that it is pure vinegar so that it is always a consistent acid level. And so it is um, always a pure product, which is good on an industrial level because we want to make sure that food is safe. And when food is made, being made on such a large scale, it really needs to be very controlled and very safe and also If you are going to make pickles at home and you want to can them and preserve them on your shelf, then you should use white vinegar Mm -hmm. because apple cider vinegar with the mother, you can't be guaranteed of the acid level, Mm -hmm. right? Because the acid, the the bacterial activity, you don't know exactly where the acid level is going to be by the time you open that jar and use it. So, you know, if you're going to make pickles and then water bath can them and put them on your shelf to keep through the winter, you should use white vinegar. Mm -hmm. Now maybe there's a brand out there that is like more traditional. I don't know. I don't know much about it. But uh you know, you want to use something that has an acid level because I would drink a gallon of wood vinegar and then get botulism any day of the week, yeah. right?
1: Sure, sure. <laughs> and, and, and we we've been telling people uh, you can do anything with distilled white vinegar and baking soda in terms of cleaning and disinfecting your house so it's very very useful product but it's so valuable to know the difference in 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 the, the food value of these things
2: but I think it's important not to judge yourself and not to get caught up in in this world of like what are the right choices to make about food I think the important thing is to understand some of the industrial processes that food goes through and some of the choices that are available to you that are different from sort of what the, the sort of food industrial machine is telling you you should want. Um, you know, our family, we don't never eat candy. We don't never go to fast food. We don't never eat meat when we go out to a restaurant because we know it's industrial. Like, we do choose those things sometimes, um, whether it's by necessity or whether it's by choice or whether it's just for fun. But we are conscious of the choices we're making and why we're making them and know that at our home we only bring really good meat that's raised by people we know or people we believe in and and we know the way that it's raised that's what we bring into our home but yeah we go to Chipotle I can't guarantee that they're as great as they say they are Mm -hmm. we're gonna have a chicken burrito like we're not gonna beat ourselves up about it
0: yeah we definitely um, talk a lot about how it's not really about necessarily the end choice being right or wrong or whatever. It's really in what we're trying to do here is just remind people that there is a choice because I think a lot of times we forget that there's a choice or we're overwhelmed by all of the choices and um, we're we we aren't keyed in yet to um, to the language and to the like knowing who's saying what and what is what is natural mean what you know. So it's kind it's yeah. just sort of parsing through all of this, and it's not really about, you know, whether or not you choose to eat meat and what kind of meat it is, but it's really just about knowing that you can and that has impact and,
1: yeah. I think the word is awareness. Awareness mm-hmm. so that you can make the choices that you want to make.
0: Yeah.
1: And and not, like like Rachel said, don't beat yourself up about it. Just know what you're doing.
2: Yeah, because the the system... They don't want you to know what they're doing. Right. They don't want you to know what you're doing. Right. And they don't want you to think much beyond, oh, it says fresh and local and natural. Uh-huh. They don't want you to think much beyond that because right. it's not in their best interest for you to think at all, really. Right. I mean, that sounds so conspiracy theorist, but it's really true. I mean, it's yeah. not in you know, the system's best interest for their consumers to think. We're not called thinkers. We're called consumers. It's really all we're good for. Um, you know, we're good for, you know, biologically, we're good for reproducing and consumeristically, we're good for consuming. That's all we're supposed to do in this world. Well,
1: you um, talk to us about a, um, a day in the life uh, in a tiny house. Like what, what's, what's your day like living in a tiny house?
2: First, I will preface this by saying that if there are some tiny house diehards listening, we do not technically live in a tiny house. We live in a small house. (laughs) Tiny house definition, I think, is something around 4 to 450 max square feet, supposedly. I mean, I'm not sure that there's the dictionary says that, but you sort of like in the tiny house circles. I don't think we technically live in tiny houses, house. but we have four people. So that's 150 square foot per person, which is not that much space. It's, 600 square feet. it's about 600 square feet. So we have a three-year-old and a six-year-old. And we have a, there's a tiny little add-on bedroom. That's the smallest bedroom allowed by code. It's teeny, teeny tiny. And it has literally room for a bunk bed in it. A bunk bed that kind of has the beds sideways and the kids sleep in there. There's one little dresser in there and a little bookshelf. That's it. And then we the rest of the house is organized and we can close that door off. The rest of the house is organized essentially like a studio apartment. There's no barrier. So our bed is just like in you walk in the front door and there's like a kind of a living space and then a little kitchen and then you walk you know through that space and then there's a bedroom except it's open. So we just have our bed there. And then off to the side is a, a little bathroom and a little uh, closet, walk-in closet. So the house was really well designed in that uh, it's very open. It has high vaulted ceiling, so it feels a lot more open than it is. And it also has a full kitchen versus just like a little galley. So it, it, we have a, enough room to put a little, a little table in it that we can all eat breakfast and dinner at and then counters and it's got a, doesn't have a full size fridge, but it's a close to a full size fridge. And it has a full size dishwasher and a full size range and oven. So that makes it feel bigger because a lot of these smaller living spaces have really tiny kitchens and we cook a lot. So, you know, it, it makes it feel a little better to have that a full kitchen space. So anyway, sort of day in the life is like, Luke and I waking up around six o'clock and trying to be really quiet. <laughs> <laughs> While we, you know, just like make the coffee and, you know, do a little stretching or meditating or whatever. And then Luke will go out and feed the pigs and do the chores on the farm. And I'll get my day ready or whatever. And then about 7 o'clock, wake the kids up. And that takes a while because I don't want to get up. I don't want to go to school, all that stuff. So, um, you know, leave the house. And we're not. And I think part of the reason the tiny house works for our family is we're not at home. Like, we're not at home. We're out all day, at, you know, loops outside on the farm, the kids are in school, I'm at work, you know, whatever. We're just not there that often, so I think it works really well. The other couple of reasons it works really well is it's attached to a farmhouse, and this, the main farmhouse has a basement that's like their toy play space. Mm-hmm. So we don't have to store really hardly any toys in our house, which makes a huge difference. And we also live on 50 acres, and if the weather is remotely nice, the kids are outside. So that's a huge reason it works for us. If we were like, I don't think I'd be cut out for tiny apartment living, like in New York City. Like if I was living in a city in 600 square feet with my kids, I would lose my mind. So I'm not a true like diehard tiny house because I don't think I can handle it. Yeah. <laughs> but where we live with the access to other play space and the access to the outdoors and the fact that we're not home that often, it works really well for us. So I will say that it gets a little overwhelming sometimes when, like, we're making dinner and the kids are, like, around and, like, we're all in the kitchen, (laughs) which is, like, the size of this table. It's really small. But, like, any reasonable kitchen, once you get everybody in there and everybody likes to be in the kitchen, you start to feel tight anyway. So, um, and then the other times are when, like, I'm, when, you know, I'm trying to work and the kids are being loud or doing something or like Max is trying to do his homework and Miles wants to play or read and it's very distracting to Max to try to do his homework or things like that where it's just like you don't have a lot of privacy so you can't just say I'm doing this now and I can be cut off from the rest of what other people are doing. You really have to learn. We're trying to help Max like learn how to keep himself focused in the milieu of things
1: happening around him. I wanted to ask you um, a mundane question. Where's your laundry?
2: Oh, one of the great designs of this tiny house is that it has, they have tucked room for a full-size washer and dryer what? in the bathroom. It's amazing. That. Like, they really did a great job. And um, the designer, if any, I'll do a plug for the designer, uh, Lancaster. Lancaster Construction, I think it's Lancaster. So his name is Mark Lancaster. He, when he built this house, he was the head of the Frederick Housing Trust. And he also, like I said, worked with workforce development at the Frederick Community College. So a lot of volunteer uh, student labor for this project. But he designed it. He put the whole thing together. He was the thrust of the project. And I think now his company, Lancaster Construction, is, is building these and helping put these in for people. So if anybody's looking for a tiny house or looking to add a structure like this to their, to their land or in their backyard, and you're in the Frederick area. He As was a great.
1: Conscious consumer who lives very sustainably, and you own a sustainable business. How do you integrate the reality of that versus the ideal of all the things you are about and all the things you live in your life? But still, this is real life, and you have two kids, and you're a marriage, and a job, and all these things. How does how do these things integrate for you?
2: That's a good question, because sometimes it doesn't, you know. Um, I would say that we had to, as we grew, as our business grew, and also as our family grew, we had to, we have to make certain choices all the time, and it's all about compromise. And... you know, if you're like those people, I'm not, not, I'm not saying anything against these people, but like, you know, those zero waste people who are like single people who are like, they have like a mason jar full of garbage for five years. And it's like, that's great. But it's you and you get to make every choice that you want to make in your life. And that's awesome for you and I'm so excited. But that's not a reality for my family because we have four of us and we have kids who want to go trick or treating and I'm not going to deny them that. And so we have lots of little packages of candy around our house that they get to eat sometimes. And you know, we can't afford to buy every piece of cheese at the cheese shop with no packaging. Like we go to Costco and buy two pound blocks of cheese that's in a package because we eat a lot of cheese. You know, I mean, these kinds of things like So we do make garbage, and we do have waste, and we do make choices that aren't always the most sustainable or the most consumer-driven, you know, consumer- Conscious. Conscious, yeah, exactly. Um, But we also just feel like the consciousness of it is the part that is important to us. So, you know, for example, our kids love straws, and every time it's like, I'm not gonna make them feel guilty and tell them about the turtles that are dying but what i can do is get a bunch of stainless steel straws and keep them in my car and keep them in my purse and keep them at the house and you know so that we can try as best as we can to have a straw when the kids want a straw (laughs) or you know um trying to think of other examples just being conscious like trying i always try to bring a reusable cup with me or like reusable containers for our takeout if we go out to eat and there's leftovers we try to remember to bring stuff with us or Things like that. And we just, you know, and I think the other thing that I think is really, really important when you're trying to live consciously in a consumer driven world is to remember that you don't need another product to make you sustainable you can actually just use the thing you have Mm -hmm. which is actually the most sustainable you know that triangle the recycling triangle that you all see that's reduce reuse recycle and everybody forgets about reduce because nobody makes money when you reduce so companies want you to think that you're going to be more eco-conscious if you buy this new water bottle but really just use your water bottle that you have and likely it's fine and you're gonna be a lot more sustainable than you would be by buying another one and throwing that other one away. So I think the biggest thing that we do is that we really don't spend very much money and we really don't buy that much. Um, And we talk to our kids all the time about their, their choices and not their choices, but we talk to our kids all the time about that feeling that they have of desiring something when they go to a store or see a commercial or anything like that. We try to talk to them like, well, what's that feeling about, why do you feel like you need something or why do you feel like you want something? And trying to help them understand that like, it's just, they're being fed this information and they don't have to believe it, right? And it's not like our kids never get stuff they they want, it's just that we are trying to help them become conscious of their consumeristic desires too. And you know, my husband and I kind of joke. We 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 our business is successful. Our business is profitable, but we don't make tons and tons of money. But we also don't spend tons and tons of money, so that we really are able to live a pretty comfortable, happy life. I don't feel for want of anything, and I and I hope that my kids don't feel for want of anything. And and yet we live on on a relatively low annual budget. And I think that that for me. Came, I mean, that's a lot from my childhood. My family was, was poor and I didn't really realize it until I was quite a bit older. I grew up with a single mom of three and, you know, she worked really hard, but we were on, you know, financial assistance. We got, you know, Christmas presents and food from the church when I was a kid. And we were on food stamps and we went to the food bank and these kinds of things. And I didn't realize until I was much older that that was not normal. You know, um, but I think my but but I look back at my childhood and realize that I never felt for wanting. I never felt a lack, and I think that it was because my mom worked really hard to not only provide for us uh, good food and you know christmas presents and things like that not not anything ostentatious and not anything excessive but there was always something under the tree and there was always food on the table and there was always things she worked really hard and and utilized the resources available to her but she also taught us about that we didn't need everything we thought we needed, right? We didn't need everything we wanted, and I think she she taught me the difference between need and want, and I think that our consumerist culture really wants us to blur that line between need and want, and wants us to need or feel that we need as many things as possible. And I think that I I didn't have that growing up, because it, just out of necessity we, we couldn't have that, so we didn't have that. And I think that was clearly taught to me. Uh, and then Luke came from a family that 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 did that had didn't have much when he was younger. His father was um, in his residency, he's a doctor, and so they scrimped and saved and raised four kids on very very little when he was younger. And then as he got older, they did have a lot, and, and they and they did well, but. They continued that that um, mindset of of saving and being careful and being conscious of their of their purchasing choices, and so I think we both kind of have that coming from different backgrounds, but we both have that, and I think we're it's helped us a lot. Really, really just cut through sort of the fanfare of what the world thinks you should spend money on, and and kind of realize what's what's important to us. The best thing you can do as an individual and especially as a consumer in our culture is get educated as much as you can because it is not in it is in no one's best interest except yours that you're educated nobody else wants you to be educated the political machine the industrial machine the consumerist machine it 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 interests and benefits them for you to stay uneducated about your purchases and your choices in your life. So whatever the choices you make, at least if you can have some understanding of why you're making them and some understanding of of the, the powers at play in you making those choices, the more empowered you're going to be as a consumer, even if it's just a tiny, tiny bit.
0: What is one thing that you want most people to know about the work that you do? Various other very yeah. we
2: always joke various that various if when we yeah, handed a jar be of be sauerkraut be to somebody that like they could have a flash in their heads of all the work that went into that, into that, that out jar out of sauerkraut you're uh, you're especially you're when somebody out balks out at the so price and so i uh, think that so the most important thing to understand about people who make like handmade or small batch products is that there is so much effort labor time energy and love that goes into these products that can't be conveyed you don't have to like go crazy on sustainability and conscious consumerism in every part of your life that feels overwhelming for people if you just decide that like what is important to you that part of your life if you could make some small simple changes you know that makes a huge difference so for us in our lives we don't have a lot of money but we really care about where our food comes from so we don't buy a lot of other things and we don't spend our money and do the things that lots of other people would consider like normal um, but we spend a lot of money on food Because we really care about it. We buy food from our friends at our farmers. We have a lot of food producers and farmers as friends. We buy food from them at a higher price than we'd get at the grocery store because we care about where it comes from. We know where it comes from. We care about supporting those businesses. And so whatever it is for you, whether it's clothing, whether it's art, whether it's books, whether it's, you know, whatever, like if you've love books and believe in books and believe in local bookstores, then shop at local bookstores and make your cuts in your budget somewhere else. If you really believe in sustainable clothing and, and all of that, then, then then do that as much as you can and make a cut somewhere else. Like Choose the things you believe in. It's overwhelming to think like, oh my God, I have to be sustainable in every single thing I do and it just, it, it, it kind of you just can't even move forward. So that's what I would say to people is just like pick a thing you really believe in and do your best to make small changes um, in where you get it, how you get it,
0: learn where it comes
2: from, those kinds of things.
0: Rachel, um, so where can people find you?
2: So right now we're pretty localized in the Frederick area. So I'm sorry for all your listeners that are not in the Frederick area. But do look in your in your own local stores for for, you know, those words we talked about and finding good brands of sauerkraut. But if you're in the Frederick and D.C. areas, uh, our website is thesweetfarm.com. You can look at some of our stores are listed. Our stores are listed on the website. And then if you're in the Frederick area, Common Market, Moms Organic Market, uh, Serendipity Market, Firestone Market, uh, Delivery Service, South Mountain Creamery delivers our stuff. Um, those are the main places in the Frederick area. And then some of the wider areas, some smaller farm stores, Moms, different places like that. You'll have to, you can look at our, our website.
0: Can people follow you online if they're
2: not looking? Yeah, we're on Facebook at The Sweet Farm. And then we're also on Instagram. Instagram's our most active um, social media service. And we're at Sweet Farm Kraut all one word. Thank
0: you so much
1: for sitting down with us today. Thank you. This was
2: so fun. I really, really, really enjoyed it.
1: Thank you, Rachel. It was really wonderful. Thank you. Rachel knows so much I just really enjoyed hearing all that, and I hope that that information was valuable to you, too. You know, when we are informed, we can make choices, and that's so much about what Rachel talked about was the choices and deciding what your choices are, not what someone else thinks they should be or what some books that they should be, but when you know the facts, you know what's going on, you can decide for yourself where you want to be and all
0: that. Yeah, we just love Rachel. At Lady Farmer, we stan a Rachel Armistead, and we hope that you all will, too. And um, if you're local, make sure you go pick up some sweet farm kraut. And um, stay tuned because she's definitely going to be back around here. And maybe at the retreat, maybe teaching a workshop. We'll see. You'll just have to wait and see. In the meantime, make sure you're following us at We Are Lady Farmer on Instagram and Facebook. Join our Facebook page. Uh, if you have any ideas for future episodes or people that you'd like to hear from, please email thegooddirtpodcast at gmail.com. And subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Leave us a review. That helps other people find us. And we will see you soon. Bye bye.